Okay, you all good? Let's do it. Hello and welcome to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast. Welcome back to the B2C Lead Gen Podcast. My name is Daniel Hopewell, here with co-host Simon Delaney, and this is episode 33, The Importance of Marketing Operations. And today we're really very excited to have Dal Alfonso from Amazon here to talk to us. Welcome to the show, Dal. How are you doing today? Thank you. Doing well. Thank you for having me. Excited for this conversation. Well, it's interesting because normally we I begin this dialogue by kind of explaining or asking people to explain um, the company they work for and what that company does. But as you work for Amazon, that kind of seems like it might be a bit of a waste of everyone's time. So instead, <laughs> I will ask you just to explain what it is you do at Amazon, what your role is to get us started, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Happy to. So um, I work in marketing operations for Amazon Web Services or AWS, and that is the cloud computing division of Amazon. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the best way to think of my team is we own the marketing technology that supports, you know, thousands of marketers all across AWS and all across the world. And what we really try to do in the form of governance, training, um, system performance, platform operations, all of that kind of thing is, is to really enable the thousands of marketers who are using these different platforms to create exceptional experiences for our customers. Um, so that's kind of the mission or, or mission statement for the team. How that operationalizes, I'd be happy to explain that to you, but at a high level, that's, that's how we think of it. Yeah, that's great. And, um, it's kind of, it's how experience, uh, we found that within market operations, that role can sometimes be misunderstood slightly, um, or the, the different areas of the role can kind of get separated and assigned to different people on a team, like dev, for example. Um, is this something you've, you've seen before? So I have a lot of thoughts on this. So, um, <laughs> okay. First of all, marketing operations itself is really hard to define. You know, I like to think of it as you know, my personal definition is the art and science of uh, executing great marketing. So the executional sort of arm um, uh, of marketing, uh, which, is, which is pretty broad. But if you think about it, let's say you have a small team, one, two, three people, you know, where does the marketing stop and then the marketing operations begin? You know, that's, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of tough to figure out. Because especially for, for small companies, you're doing both. You're, you're doing both the strategy of you know, trying to figure out what the messaging, the creative um, positioning and the offer of, of, your, of, of your product or services. And then you're at the same time executing it. And you're sort of thinking about it a lot of oftentimes. You know, I've, I've worked at a startup in small companies before. Oftentimes you're thinking about it in the same way. You know, like, oh, here's a strategy. How are we going to do it, right? Now, as, com as your company increasingly matures and as companies grow in size, these things naturally separate, right? From the strategy side to the executional side. Um, and and that's, that's one of the, the, the key reasons that I think that marketing operations is a little bit hard to define. That mixed with the fact that people also get marketing automation and marketing operations also very confused. And there's a really good reason for that. Um, um, the reason for that is 
so much of today's sort of B2B digital efforts um, actually live in the marketing automation platform. If you think about uh, if you if you think about enterprise marketing automation today, these platforms are huge. You know what I mean? They've got uh, tens of millions of records, thousands of landing pages, email campaigns, and assets, and hundreds of users, right? Um, and in the case of AWS, thousands of users. So it actually takes a team, an, a, a village, to actually operate and keep this system, um, you know, keep the system afloat, keep the, the lights on. So, so you have entire people whose, whose entire career is spent perfecting and refining and supporting marketing automation. And those people are also marketing operations folks. I think that, I think that the way that I think about it is, is marketing operation, of course, is, is one of those categories or sub subcategories of MarTech and, um, you know, marketing operations, people, one of their key responsibilities is to operate MarTech. But I think, I think that that's sort of my long winded answer of saying, that's why it's, a, I think it's a little bit confusing to people what marketing operations is um, because of those factors that, that uh, uh, make it a little bit confusing. I think it's something we find as well. So obviously um, within our software, um, we have users uh, that, that fall into sort of two channels and we've always counted them as like being technical or not being technical. And so the technical aspect is effectively marketing operations in reality is whether they're going to carry it out or whether we're going to have to carry it out for them. Um, and even internally, we've never really seen it as marketing operations. It's always been, you know, just like, um, it's almost been like customer success. But in reality, it's um, it even gets confused in companies where it's like exactly like you said, the execution or the technical execution of the stuff that needs to be achieved by the marketing. Um, so it's, it's interesting that even in companies that are doing it, which is a lot of our companies, we work like brands, big, huge enterprise ones, and then smaller, tiny little companies. And I've never heard one of them say marketing operations or if you refer themselves as that or refer to us as that. Um, and in reality, that's what it's all about with the marketing automation is requires people that are um, doing marketing operations to, to run it all effectively. It's, it's interesting. It's, you know, it's, it, yeah, even in these companies, no one knows that term. Yeah, I talked to, I talked to a woman that worked for Dell and we were talking about, we were comparing notes um, for, for, for marketing operations. And she told me that 90% of her job was budgeting and spend management, you know? And what that means is I think marketing operations, especially at some of these, you know, um, more mature companies, it means something different, you know what I mean? And operations, operations itself is a very, very vague word, you know? Um, it, my, my favorite example is, is, the, is the idea of a chief operating officer. You know, the word operations is in there. What does a chief operations officer do? Everything. <laughs> They're making sure the business operates. You know what I mean? Where the CEO is the one that sets the vision and the strategy and, and hires the executives um, and really sort of sets the course for the business. The chief operating officer gets things done. And I think that that's, that's, that's the, the nice way that I've always, I've always thought about operations. But, but, you know, for the listeners, I'll, I'll give you one of like my favorite Mm, functional 
examples uh, or functional definitions. And it is that marketing operations owns the um, tools, processes, and the metrics that support uh, great marketing. And I think that that's a, a much easier, uh, uh, a, a much more tangible definition. So if you think about the, the tools, that's MarTech, right? The marketing technology used to, to, to power marketing and to drive ROI. And then you have the processes, right? And that, that a process is everything from the programs to you know, how you execute campaigns to where does the data go um, you know, that, that feeds up into the overall reports. Um, and then of course that leads to the metrics. You know, what are the key metrics that matter? Can marketers and leadership get to the data that they need? Can they, is it accessible and is it actionable and accurate? Um, all of those things I think are the, the, the real core of, of what marketing operations does. Do you, because you mentioned when the companies are small, so let's say, I don't know, it's three, four people and they're doing all of this, so the creative or what's seen as more creative aspect, like designing ads and landing pages and whatever, and then um, it's all being fulfilled by the same people on a sort of marketing operations side. Mm. Do they, um, you're running a marketing operations team, do they come from one side of, or the other of that, or are they generally people that specialize in both? That's a good question. Um, it depends. So if you think about, um, I'm sure if you, I've, I've, I'm sure, I'm sure if you heard of this framework about what market, marketing operations does or the jobs to be done when it comes to marketing operations. And it comes from Edward Unthink of, of Atumos. And the four jobs to be done are uh, platform operations, campaign operations, marketing intelligence, and marketing engineering. So those four things have to be present in a marketing operations team, whether it's one person or whether it's 30 people. Um, so how you separate that and, 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 and divvy that up depends on the, the size of your company. Now, when it comes to the specific jobs to be done, um, the more technical jobs will usually require specialists. So marketing intelligence, for example, would require you know, someone with at least a background in data science, um, um, statistics, um, and possibly data engineering. So unfortunately, you can't really, you know, maybe at some companies, I suppose, uh, if you're if, if you don't have as much data, um, you know, you could probably hire someone where that's sort of their part-time job. But at the enterprise level, um, there's it's just terabytes or and 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 you know enormous volumes of data and, and users and databases and objects, you really need someone that knows what they're doing. And the same goes for marketing engineering, which is the building of products and services internally to support marketing efforts. So you'll need an engineer. Now, the other two, which are platform operations and campaign operations, you can actually hire a hybrid talent. You know what I mean? And I consider myself hybrid talent, you know, where, um, you know, I'm very good with with Marketo, for example, um, but I'm also, you know, I've also done marketing um, in my past life. Um, I also love project management, working with 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 variety of stakeholders. So, you know, I have different skills. Um, I don't know if I could necessarily code a product and build it for our marketing team. So, so that wouldn't be a good role for me. Um, but platform operations and campaign operations um, is where you can you can find those 
um, or you want to hire that that hybrid talent. I love the phrase hybrid talent. I'm going to use that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I saw a post the other day on LinkedIn, and um, I think you uh, somewhat facetiously put marketing our marketing operations isn't that hard or something like that. And then you went <laughs> on to list like the hundreds of things that you have to take care of. Um, but I guess what I kind of wondered is what are the challenges you face in terms of managing so many different things within that umbrella of marketing ops? Yeah, I think, you know, it's so funny. Um, I just want to make a comment on some of the things that I write about. And, you know, mostly I, it, I try to keep it a balance between, you know, posting very strategic, helpful, helpful content that really simplifies and gets to the core of what marketing operations people should do. And I try to make it extremely simple because I think that, you know, um, it, it can get quite complicated. Um, but then also being realistic and, and, and being sort of, you know, in touch with reality is that coming into my inbox every single day are a variety of requests for the most random things, you know, and, and, and um, I think it's, I would be, uh, I would be out of touch with reality to not acknowledge that marketing operations people are often drowning in the number of things that they have to do. Um, but here's how, here's, how, here's how I think about, here's how I think about prioritization. Um, the first thing that you really want to think about is an interesting thing, to, interesting way is this hierarchy of priorities. Um, and the first one is the customer experience and the customer value. That's the, that's the one that, the, that should come at the top. And I think a lot of people forget that. What, what comes, uh, and that means, you know, when they come to their site, when, you, when they come to your website, is their data protected? Um, do they have a good experience when they're visiting your website and your landing page, um, when they're seeing your content across the channels? Um, do they have a, a good experience when they receive your emails? Are they relevant, timely, personal to you? Um, those are all things that are customer first. And then in the hierarchy comes your internal stakeholders, which I'm sure marketing operations across the world are keenly aware of. It's your it's sales and, and, and your marketing stakeholders. They have their marketing goals. Sales has their goals that they want to achieve. And they want to get to that, get to those goals as fast as, as possible um, and as efficiently as possible. Um, and then I think after, after that um, comes, you know, I would say it's almost balanced now that I think about it. Um, and, and that's the sort of uh, what I like to call, you know, fortification. And fortification is, you know, do you have everything set up for success to support you in the long term? Um, so that's kind of how I think about it. Um, is 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 those three things that you always want to think about, um, and that can help you sort of prioritize your work. Um, you know, it, if you have three things to do, is there one of them that affects the end customer? Right, that's the one. That's the first thing that you should really focus on, and you should lead with that. Um, given that that's taken care of, the next thing is you know servicing your internal customers and and making sure that they have a, have a good work experience. Um, and then at the same time, I'm not exactly sure where to put fortification, but at the same time, you have to allocate time each month to making sure that you have a robust setup um, system-wise and process-wise. 
and that you are as much as possible trying to eliminate technical debt and other other sort of unwanted um, um, negative consequences of moving really quickly. So that that's how I kind of um, think about it. And I'm happy to go into some you know sample exercises, but but that's 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 the way that I think about prioritization. It's a lot of what you do as well. So when you get like you said the never-ending inbox of requests and weird and wonderful thing it's a lot of that just trying to simplify things so you'll have weird requests and it's like trying to fulfill what the person wants but doing it as simply as possible um or is there sort of necessary complication that has to be done that like can't be avoided or how how do you handle it generally so everyone deals with these ad hoc requests and it's important to get to the core of the intent behind the request. Um, because often, especially these days, often requests are just curious, you know, like curiosity questions. You know, can Marketo do this? Uh, is there a tool that can help me with my work? Um, where, it, where someone's just maybe musing or just kind of seeing if there's something out there for the sake of it. So, so getting to the core of what, what the actual actual request is and the intent of it, I think is the first thing. And then, and that's when you start to go through your, that hierarchy of, of priorities with the end customer being first. Um, and, and really asking, is this ad hoc request something that's really going to deliver value to our customers um, is, is, is the first thing that you should, you should ask, or is it, is it a simple productivity request or product, yeah, a productivity improvement? which is not bad, but, but remember that productivity has to come second to, to the, the customer experience. And I think that that's something that, that, that marketers um, often, for, uh, often forget. And you know, more often than not, the, the problem that I see that is, is pervasive is that marketing teams wanna do things just because they're there they want to use all the bells and whistles of their marketing technology just because they can um, and just because they feel like it's a waste not to do that. But the problem is you're forgetting opportunity cost, right? Um, you know, people think, well, we're paying so much for this software. We have to use every single part. But what you're taking away from is the time that you could be spending on creating value for the customer and whatever that is. Uh, so that, that's how I think about that. Yeah, it's just because we have, um, you know, some requests internally when people, you know, they'll come to us. And one of the key things that we look at, um, it's a really interesting point that you make. Because in B2C, I guess you have, there's almost like two stakeholders. So it's the people that are the people in the world that could visit a site. And are they the sort of importance? And then you have a client who wants to, you know, project their site in a certain way. And so we're always like, it's this juxtaposition between the two of what's going to, who's going to help the most and whatever. Um, but what we try and do is like just simplify stuff. And whether that's, like you said, digging into like, why are you actually wanting to do this? Is it just because you like can, or is it, is there like a real need to do something with this? And a lot of time you find that, um, keeping it simple has the best impact or the most impact um being more complicated and doing complicated stuff 
can help but um exactly like you said only <laughs> if i guess the right intent is there like you know it really is going to create a, a big impact because otherwise you may it's just technical debt or it's just you know whatever it's uh it's an interesting point i think i think and you're right on you're right on i think that and it, and, it, and it goes beyond marketing operations but so many people can improve their work and their value with prioritization and and simplification um, it's just a recurring theme that I think that that can impact every area of, of work life. Um, and, and if you think about, um, if you think about simplification in, in, in a, uh, an interesting way from the point of view of the, of the customer, it ends up being invention and innovation. Um, you're inventing and you're innovating on behalf of the customer. You know, um, if you, if you, if you look at the great customer experience improvements that have happened across the world, you've got, you know, Uber, for example, and Lyft with the rideshare services that have made calling a cab so much easier. Um, Amazon, of course, with their one-click buying um, 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 mechanism, and um, um, Zoom, right, which is what we're on today, where you can host a meeting in one click versus, you know, some of the other services, you know, five, ten years ago. God, it took forever. Do you, do you remember having to download like that thing and it just spin and spin and spin? <laughs> um, so, so that's what we're trying to do. Um, whether it's B2C or B2B, you're, you're thinking about in the most simple and straightforward way, solving your customer's problem and then um, delivering on that, you know, uh, in, whatever, in, in whatever that might be. Might, might, might be. Um, so, so in the B2C examples, we see that with, we see that with giving the customers exactly what they want as soon as, as soon as the engagement happens. Um, and B2B is much, is much more complex, unfortunately, but it doesn't mean that you can't, you know, remove friction and that you can't make it more convenient for them to get the answers that they need or, or the solutions that they need to their problems. How do you think it's more complex? So um, I, I think I think there's a lot to unpack in that question. <laughs> How is it more complex? I just um, I'm just interested to know is you know what your thoughts are on it. So um, you know B two B versus B two C right is 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 is, is, is always an interesting one because there's there's that that school of thought that it's it's all H to H which is all human to human. Um, I think I think when you really look at it. Um, the, the products themselves are more sophisticated and less emotion driven. Um, they're more driven on uh, business outcomes and business metrics. Um, and they usually ser service a variety of, variety of needs versus with, with B2C, you may usually um, service maybe just, just one um, or just a handful. Um, the, what is absolutely more complex is the buying process. Um, and that's because of um, committee and uh, finance. So, you know, as you know, it's actually multiple stakeholders or multiple committee that actually has to make a joint buying decision versus with B2C, it's usually just one person or someone talking to their partner. Um, and then the, the, the finance part also makes it complex because you have to make a business justification to actually release or allocate the funds. Um, 
And the other thing that I think makes it more complex is sometimes, except with larger, uh, higher ticket items with, with B2C, with B2B, oftentimes um, there's a big switching cost, changing cost. Can you imagine changing your CRM? It's, you know, Painful. that's that, yeah. even that phrase terrifies me <laughs> because of how much work it takes to do a migration. So, you know, it's very much a big commitment when you're doing something, you know, uh, even if you like, you know, for, for consumers, if you buy a watch or you buy a, a wallet, you know, it's low commitment. You can change it if you want. Um, in B2B, it's not really like that. There's, there's a, a huge amount of, of switching costs and, and opportunity costs. So those are, I think, some of the reasons why when you look at it close up, um, um, B2B is different than B2C. Now, now the, 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 the problem that, that, that's happening in the marketing industry is that B2B marketers forget that their target audience is human and they don't create remarkable, helpful, interesting marketing experiences for them. They treat this also like a, the sophisticated technical buying process that it is rather than treat people like humans and try to educate and help them. I think that that's where the H to H or human to human sort of theme comes from. It's to try to encourage being more human in marketing. Um, but especially for operational hands-on folks, we technically we do know that there are differences. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just interesting because we, so Databall, the software is for companies. So we actually sell Databall B2B, but it's for b2c marketing and sales right so we actually so we have to know all about that world because obviously that's what our product does but then to market and sell datable effectively we also need to know all the b2b side of sales and marketing mm. um so we're in sort of unique position i guess where we like get involved in both and so um we get to see like you know the complications with them and everything and you're exactly right there is in terms of the buying process and therefore um the potential marketing it's definitely simpler within um b2c i think where some of the complications can come in b2c is um like tying technologies together that you don't get as much in b2b because in b2b people generally use like a single system right they'll use like marketo salesforce hubspot whatever and that'll carry out like the majority of their exercises they might tag stuff in like i don't know six cents or something else to um you know see yeah. who's doing it but it, it, it's like a single system that they're then trying to um effectively run analysis of what's happening i guess but in b2c you'll you'll have people that will put six seven eight different technologies together and you know hook them up with zapier or something else and then they're trying to run all this like complicated tech setup. Um, and that's where the complication can come. And, th and I think there's a bit of like, you know, being like a magpie about it as well, where, um, you know, the people sort of collect technologies and then just <laughs> figure out a way to like shoehorn them in. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, but not everyone's like that, you know, it's, that it's just stuff we see and especially with like legacy stuff where, you know, it becomes like layers of an onion and you're just picking away bits of technology that people have added over the years and just, you know, um, 
whereas in B2B it's it's like they move forward with the um with the CRM they're using typically. Yeah, and and that's such a good point. I think I think tech te technology wise is going to be different. I think that what is interesting is um that you know the B2C and B2B buying process, there are a lot of similarities. Um it, and it's just that I think with B2C it happens much faster. Um and it involves a little bit less people, but the stages are kind of the same. It just mm -hmm. happens, you know, where with B2C, it could happen all, all within the first five minutes. Um, but with B2B, they're, the, the stages are the same, but they're split up. So, so you know, let's think of, let, let, let's think of your, your, your average B2C buying experience. You're, you're aware of a product like a wallet and, you know, you go to the ad and then you're exploring the, you're exploring the site. Um, and then, and then you're you're making a purchase, and then you're checking the customer reviews um, before you, before you sort of make a considered decision. Um, all of those things can happen within the first five minutes, just just clicking around. But if you think about the same buying experience when you're buying um, a SaaS product, you know you're probably aware of the product from an event or something. So you're you're searching and you're going online. You're you're exploring all of the. It, it takes a long time to go through all of the product specifications. Because it's it's different than a wallet. Do you know what I mean? There, there's so much other things to consider besides just the features of a wallet. So that itself takes longer. And then the review process, instead of like looking up the reviews on on Yelp or on on Google, um, you're talking to people. I mean, you may go to like G2 Crowd or something, but but ideally you're actually talking to your peers. So you're you're getting this sort of consensus or this informed decision or informed information from other users. And you're you're slowly putting together a case in your mind, um, and then and then of course, uh, rather than pull out your credit card and 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 buy the wallet, you're actually creating a purchase order and and sending it to finance for that to get approved. Um, so I think it's it's an interesting thing to think about that that the stages are actually the same. Things are just things things just take a lot longer. The stages are separate and 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 more extended, um, and there's mo more. Well, here's the thing, right? Because they're more extended and the, the stages are more distinct, there's more places for them to fall out. You know what I mean? Um, and that's what that's such a big idea in marketing. Where are they falling out in the funnel? Where are they falling out in the process? And then trying to find ways to 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 patch up those holes and to make sure that they keep moving through smoothly. Mm. Um, I think is 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 an interesting thing to to think about. And this, uh, yeah, in, in the lead gen thing, so even if it's not e-commerce, but it's more like lead gen, so um, like mid to high ticket item in B2C, um, but it still gets treated differently because um, mostly it might not even go into a CRM because of the volume of leads. It'll go into like what we do at lead management system, but which is effectively a B2C CRM that handles like greater volume or is a, a like more of a data orchestration system. But yeah, you're exactly right. It's... Um, there are just like funnels it goes through. And I think, like I said, it's speed, speed and volume is what we um, typically see as the, the difference, definitely. One, um, one thing I want to come back to, which I think you hinted at a little bit earlier, um, but I want to revisit it. And it's something we talk about and share quite a bit, Daryl. It's um, we talk about the need, especially in lead generation, of de-siloing marketing and sales. Um, it's something we talk about a lot. And I just kind of wonder if you had any thoughts on this and if you thought that was something that was you know, important to do, how marketing operations could be play a role in that, in that aspect. You know, um, 
yeah, the 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 siloing of of different departments, the misalignment, I think, is such a challenge for all organizations everywhere. And I think that when you look at B two B, for example, um, that's why we see a big rise in the popularity of of revenue operations and revenue marketing. Um, and then, and then the, the rise of the role of the CRO or the chief revenue officer, because it naturally aligns those two functions um, with shared goals. You know, people, um, the goal is more revenue. Are we going to get that from, you know, marketing driven um, opportunities? Are they going to come from sales sourced? Or are they going to come in the form of, of upsells and cross sells that customer success is doing? Um, so, I th- so I think that that. I think everyone knows that alignment is so key, and that's one of the reasons for the that, that the popular reasons for that role or that initiative. Um, I think that there's there's different things that you can do to try to get that alignment. Um, one of the things is if you can at the company being p- uh, principle driven, um, and I mention that because it's such a big deal at at Amazon. Um, we're actually very principle driven. There's there's uh, 16 leadership principles that we all um, operationalize in our culture, um, and you know, let, let's take let, let's take the first one, which is you know, customer obsessed. You know, how are you practicing customer obsession in your work? Um, it's not just it's not just something where you um, you know think about or, or or like posters on the wall. We grade customer obsession in our interview process, in our promotions process. Um, and at every level of the company, you know, people are graded on, on how they're practicing or exemplifying customer obsession. So I think, I think principles is probably my number one way. And of course I'm biased, but the number one way I think of, op, of, of, of aligning, aligning the functions um, behind a, a single purpose. Um, so that, 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 that's one thing that you can do. One other thing for companies that might have a little bit trouble implementing, you know, a principle-driven culture because that, that starts at the top, right? So, so um, is uh, regular, transparent reporting and goals, and um, you know, a lot of companies do this, and and we do it as especially at at very regular frequencies. Is we have weekly business reports or business reviews, monthly and quarterly business reviews, and all departments have to submit. All of their uh, KPIs, um, all of their uh, OKRs, and the and the critical business metrics for their function, and it all rolls up into a single report that leadership reviews, and that's something that I think is 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 incredibly important because on one side the transparency gives you an idea of of what everyone's working toward. So if those are new customer acquisitions, sales. Um, event registrations across the board, with people seeing that and keeping their eyes on that, they remember what what the purpose of their projects and what the purpose of their role is. So that's key. And then the second piece of that, of, of what makes this so effective is it's accountability. You know, when you are providing metrics on a weekly basis, you know, it's very easy for, for an outsider or a leader to say, you know, how are we doing and be able to, to, to look and see if it's trending upward, if it's in, you know, ascent or if it's in, if it's in decline. Um, so I think that ac- accountability, um, you know, is, is, is also incredibly important 
uh, in terms of trying to reach uh, um, uh, shared goals. It's a brilliant way of thinking about it. I love it, like principle-driven. Can I ask you a question, Daryl? How do you measure customer obsession? So, it's like fastest to the, the ticket. That's <laughs> what I was just thinking. <laughs> how you, how how you measure it? I think that that's. I think that 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 is that is one of them actually. Mm. Um, you know, there there's there's different ways that you can do it for the external customer, and then there's within your organization. And I think those are two two different questions. So the first one is what you'll typically think of as as uh, as 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 customer obsessed uh, sort of questions, you know, one is surveys, NPS, their digital behavior, you know, um, for marketers, that's bounce rate, conversion rate, um, in, um, user experience on the site, right? So those are, those are things that I think that all businesses so, sort of should keenly know. Um, and then internally measuring customer obsession is a little bit different. I think that the, and it's different for each function. The way that we do it is um, we have people provide evidence of something that they do that will help the customer. And that always kind of comes up in the different sort of, mm, I don't wanna say milestones, but the different key checkpoints that teams have and that, um, that teams have and then that individuals have. You know, so for a team, for example, when they're producing their roadmap, they need to demonstrate what value that's providing for the customer and why it matters. And that is vetted and judged by other groups. And then for individuals, you know, I mentioned like promotion, I mentioned interviews. In interviews, for example, you have to demonstrate with evidence and metrics and prove like how, how have you helped the customer in the past? What did you do and how do you know? So um, it's a little bit fuzzier, I think, internally, but but um, I, I think at least the F, the exercise of trying to prove that you're customer obsessed, I think, goes a long way. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I think um, that's been an amazing insight into marketing operations and what we do. I think we've barely scratched the surface of <laughs> what we could have got into and what we've done. But um, we've appreciated you joining us and. Um, I'm no doubt everyone listening will have got some amazing insights into that. But thank you so much for joining us. And um, yeah, we'll have to catch up and again and do it again soon and get a bit more in depth into it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. Great conversation. Cheers. Thank thanks for listening to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe to hear more from those at the very cutting edge of the lead gen world.